0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you for being here for episode two. Of 2024, episode 67, I think in reality, I'm not 100% sure, but you can look wherever you get your podcast at that little number in front of the title. We're back, baby. We're rolling into it. We are coming back hot with a solo. And after the love that we got from our previous episode and talking about the inherent discomfort of not only the act of adoption, but that inherent discomfort, meaning we should be uncomfortable in our conversations around adoption. I wanted to talk a little bit today about my specific journey and three moments that I really Come back to a lot. I've talked a lot about them on the John Chi Show. I've written a lot about them on my social media accounts. And I wanted to dive into those today because I don't really think I've talked about them on this show. And I think they provide even more context, not only to myself and my own life, but to this broader conversation around the discomfort. Of adoption in the adoptee experience, so that's what we're going to do today. Um, I just want to say shout out to everybody that's here and everybody that's been joining and and showing up on the social media clips and sharing and commenting and just being a part of this community. It really means a lot. Um, we've got. A lot of incredible things coming up, Uh, some really amazing guests over the next few weeks leading into February, got some really amazing guests lined up for February, and we are at this moment three weeks away from the birth of Emily and I's first child, so... I've been doing a lot of work in January to try and get ready for that moment. So that way we can continue to roll out content and episodes and conversations all throughout February when I'll be taking a little bit of a break to adjust to parenthood, adjust to that hashtag dad life. And I, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on right now and I'm just excited to be able to sit back down here, have this conversation, talk about some things that I've done a lot of reflection on over the past few years, um, especially over the last year and a half, and especially, especially over the last six months as I've been going through this therapy journey. And yeah, it's exciting. So like I said, you know, I want to talk about some key moments from my journey as an adoptee and as an Asian American. Um, I do want to caveat, these are only three of many different moments in my life that I can come back to. And the interesting thing about it is that there are a lot of different moments, but there are pretty hyper-specific moments, especially during those 30 years that I was in rejection or in the status quo, as is that first stage of the adopted consciousness model. And it's interesting to think about those specific moments within the context of this broader journey that I've been on over the last three years, and I hopefully... You'll see after this, at the end of this episode, how those things should make this conversation uncomfortable a little bit. I've become comfortable talking about this discomfort within my own life, but for all adoptees and the ways that they go about sharing their stories and knowing that. None of these events that I share today are going to be exactly the same as anybody else's events in their own lives. But knowing that we have some of these key moments that we can draw back on, especially post coming to consciousness, where we can really reflect on that period of status quo and start to connect the dots a little bit. In terms of why we might have been in that position for so long and really getting into the minutia and specifics of our own lives, as opposed to just talking generally about, oh, I was in this phase and then I came out of that phase and. So I'm going to talk about each one of these moments individually and connect them with a through line at the end of the episode. And again, I do just want to say and lay down this disclaimer before diving in that these are my experiences. They are mine alone, and they make up the story that is Patrick Armstrong, the Asian-American adoptee who exists within the larger fabric of our collective adoptee diaspora, and they do not represent the entire community itself. So I just wanna lay that out before we dive in because in about three seconds, we're diving in to memory one. So let's get going. This first memory that I wanna talk about is from my first day of first grade. I walked into the school gymnasium, didn't have many friends. I'd went to kindergarten at the same school, but I would say the friendship connection that I had with with my peers, with my classmates, Didn't really develop until second grade. But I remember first grade walking in to the gym. That's where we would all assemble for the first day of school. So we would hear from the principal. This was at a Catholic grade school, mind you, in Rensselaer, the town that I grew up in. And we would all sit on the bleachers, listen to whatever spiel was had to be spelt, and then go to our respective classes, continue on with the year. And I walk in, I'm by myself. I again, no friends or really relationships to speak of in this particular building with this particular group of people, and I remember I come around the corner to walk up the gym steps, looking for a place to sit, thinking about who I might sit next to, really having no idea who that's gonna be and a kid walks up to me and instantly pull their eyes back and say how do you see out of those things and (laughs) thinking about it now i laugh even though it's not funny um i remember just being so shocked that i just had no i don't think i had any reaction no visible reaction on my face i don't think i got emotional at all they said that how do you how can you see out of those things didn't wait for a response turned around and left Went and sat by the people that they know on in their part of the bleachers. And it's interesting. I didn't understand at the time what had happened. And thinking about it now, I think, oh, this obviously for my child, I would 100% want them to come and tell me the parent or tell someone at the school that they felt safe enough and comfortable enough to tell or just any adult. To, to let them know, hey, this happened, and I don't think that it was right. But first grade Patrick did not say anything to anyone, <clears throat> never told anybody about this experience, never told my parents, never told any friends that I ended up making it to school, never told any adult figure, any guardian figure, not my grandparents, no one. And instead, I pushed that experience down because I didn't understand it and because I didn't have the language to articulate what had just happened. I don't think first grade Patrick was aware that that was something that he's even supposed to share with anyone to let them know that, Oh, this happened and I don't feel very good about it. I remember not feeling good about it, but again, so shocked that I just didn't understand what had all had happened. And Hindsight being what it is now, I know this was my first experience with racism and microaggressions that I was cognizant of, despite not having the language to articulate so and to tell anyone what it was. So I didn't say what it was. I didn't say to anyone, this is what happened. I'm hurt. I don't feel good about it, and I, but I don't understand why that is. Instead, I pushed it down, kept it to myself. I'm realizing now that, you know, this is setting the stage for how I would go about internalizing racism against myself, how I would go about internalizing a loathing and discomfort and distrust even, and, a, and definitely a dislike of anything Asian and myself being Asian and being different in this community of predominantly white students predominantly white staff predominantly white people not just in the school but the community itself as well as the complications of being in an all-white family aside from my sister um, who was adopted from korea non-biological and i also realized or i'm also realizing that this was one of the first core experiences where i would make the subconscious decision to start rejecting that part of my identity and because it happened so early in my life it couldn't be anything other than foundational it latched on to the deepest part of who i was and it rooted itself there and again it became foundational and like i said it sets the stage for what i would go through and how i would navigate the world for the next two decades because i I'm going to be honest. I don't know how old you are when you're in first grade or even kindergarten. I'm assuming it's 10, but that might be wrong. It might be eight. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's got to be younger. So at least the first two decades or the next two decades, if not longer. But that's memory one. My first true experience with racism and microaggressions directed at me that I was even subconsciously aware was happening and became cognizant of. And so that's memory one. Memory two is a college memory. And if you've listened to The John C. Show, if you followed me on Instagram or LinkedIn or other social media platforms, I suppose, actually, I don't know because I'm not really on any other ones, TikTok, but I don't think I've talked about this on TikTok. Um, I've talked about this particular memory quite a lot because it's something that honestly I think about almost every day, because again, it's, it's very foundational. It grew out of memory one and then everything associated with that younger period of my life. So in college, I was still navigating the world in a state of rejection, rejecting my identity, not wanting to be associated with feeling very uncomfortable around anything Asian, not wanting to even really identify as Asian myself. And Still had this predominantly white friend group and I was still trying to fit into that group and be accepted. I was still trying to like solidify my place within this social group because at all times I felt like I was on the precipice of being rejected and being kicked out of the group and losing everything that I felt like I had worked so hard over the last decade or so to try and establish for myself. And so I believe this is my sophomore year at Purdue. Um, I was waiting for class to start, sitting in a lecture room, sitting in the back row as I was wont to do in school. And I also had headphones in. I was just kind of minding my own business. I would always just go to class by myself. I didn't really have any classes with other people that I knew. but And I honestly didn't try to make friends when I was in class. I would just go to class. Pop my headphones in until the teacher came in and and the professor came in and it was time to start. And then I would sometimes take my headphones out, sometimes take one headphone out, listen to music on one headphone, listen to the lecture on the other headphone. To be honest, probably not paying that much attention. Anyways, I'm sitting in the back of the class waiting for the lecture to start. And out of the periphery, my right periphery, I know specifically, I clocked an Asian student walking down the row towards me. And I could tell that they were saying something to me, trying to get my attention, not in like a, hey, look over here, but more like a just like, you know, you're just walking up and you're like, hi, you know, like trying to say something to someone um, who is you're walking towards, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how social interactions work. Um, I paused what I was listening to. I didn't take the headphone out. Mind you, but I paused what I was listening to and I realized that they were speaking to me in a language that I did not recognize. And as it was unfolding, as this person is drawing closer to me, I told myself in my mind that there are one of two things that can happen right now. One, I can either engage with this person and take my first steps into this world that I had done a lot to isolate and insulate myself from, or two, I could continue down the path of comfortability. I can continue to be the person that I had molded myself into, continue to wear the mask that I'd created for myself so long ago, and just do that. Unfortunately, I chose the latter option. I turned to this person. I may have smiled. I'm not 100% sure, but I just said, I'm sorry I don't understand what you're saying. And I kind of just like rudely brushed them off. I was just like, I'm sorry. I I, I don't know. And I just looked away. And that student ended up turning around, walking out of the row. And I have no idea because I was not paying attention anymore. I didn't look after them. I didn't look where they went. And to be honest, at that time, I didn't care. I was glad to get out of that situation. So that sucked. (laughs) I don't feel good about myself because of that. I did not think about that interaction until I came to consciousness. And I will say that for the most, for the better part of the last three years, I've thought about this moment a lot because as I've unpacked my story and started to understand the adoptee experience and as as well as the Asian American experience that I had, I realized two things. This moment in particular was indicative of two different things. The first thing was that The rejection of my identity as an Asian and an Asian American and the internalized whiteness and comfortability around and within whiteness that I had built up over the first 20 years of my life was causing me a lot of self-harm and like harming of myself because it was keeping me isolated from my ethnic and racial communities That I really, really needed at that time, but didn't know that I needed. Again, even 10, 15 years on, I didn't have the language to articulate what it was that I needed. I didn't even have the language to articulate the discomfort that I felt and why I felt it. We didn't talk about it. I never talked about it. Nobody asked about it. It just was. And that's what my life was. The second thing was the flip side of that particular coin... Was that the rejection of my own identity and the internalization of whiteness, white supremacy culture, and the comfortability within that space was actively causing harm to other people, particularly within the Asian and Asian American diasporas and people that I might interact with on a daily basis, particularly at Purdue. This was causing outward harm, not just only inward harm. Not only was I harming myself by refusing, essentially refusing to step out of this comfort zone and engage with something that I desperately needed at the time but didn't know. This was also causing harm to other people. And it was causing harm to other people because I don't know what this student this other person was trying to get out of this interaction maybe they had just came to purdue and were looking to make friends maybe they needed help in some way there are a lot of different things that i thought about over the last three years that this person may have been trying to communicate with me and because of the rejection that i was in because of that internalized whiteness white supremacy culture and comfortability I caused them harm, and I I think about that a lot. I think about that person. I really hope that they're okay, and I wish that I could apologize to them, and this is my apology now, that I really wish that I had never had done that and I had engaged with them, and who knows? Who knows how different my life could have been? Very foundational moment, very much a key core instance within the larger fabric of my own experience at that time which leads us to memory three so the first two memories tough difficult um memories that set the stage for memory three but really are two distinct memories that can give you an idea of how I was navigating the status quo and a little bit of the why I was doing so. So Memory 3 is my coming to consciousness memory. Memory 3 is a little bit more celebratory in a way. It feels good. It feels good to talk about. I enjoy talking about it because it's, I mean, it's unique to me. It's, it's unique to the experience of the adoptee, not just the Asian adoptee, but just adoptees in general of breaking out of the status quo, the rupture point. And this is mine. Um, And, you know, it's something I think is impactful for folks to talk about. When I heard other when I came to consciousness, I learned a lot from other people and their moments of coming to consciousness or what I was calling at that time coming out of the fog. Um, But before I jump too far ahead into that, let me talk about this memory three, this coming to consciousness memory. So in June of 2020, I was still navigating the world in a similar way to memory one, memory two. I was still very comfortable in whiteness, very comfortable in my own friend group, very comfortable in being uncomfortable around being, what it means to be Asian. And I didn't want, I, I was just so uncomfortable with it, I didn't want to engage. I, there was no reason for me to do so in, in my mind. So a bunch of things were happening at this time. A month prior, Emily and I had just moved back to Indianapolis from Chicago. It was the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdowns, and the reason we moved back to Indianapolis from Chicago is because we wanted to have a little bit more space. We had the privilege of being able to make that move at that time, but we wanted to get out of our one-bedroom, one-bathroom, third-floor apartment where we were unable to <laughs> – I mean, it's it's silly now because we should have just been, like, hold up and insulated, but we felt like if we were going to be isolated in this way, in the way that we had to be, you know, to protect not only ourselves, but others, particularly in our family. We wanted to have a little bit more space. And so we were able to find that in Indianapolis. So we made the move in in May. And so that's happening. Violence against Asian bodies becoming very widely publicized, specifically happening because of the pandemic and because of the rhetoric of certain people. And then there was also... The highly visible, highly public state violence against black bodies, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, three really high profile cases that were happening at the time. And then lastly, Emily and I had just happened to have a conversation about what it would be like to have kids grow our family. We were engaged at the time and we were doing some wedding planning. And so we just naturally having a conversation like that. And so one night in June of 2020, all of this was going on. All of these different events happening, and we decided to watch a movie sitting on the couch. And for some reason, probably fate, even though I don't believe in fate, we landed on "Always Be My Maybe," uh, starring Randall Park and Ali Wong. It's on Netflix. I think I've been thinking about, I've been talking about this story a little bit more lately, and I think it was because we had been watching "Fresh Off the Boat" uh, with Randall Park, and so we land on this comedy or this rom com on Netflix. Press play and we're watching this movie and there's a scene really early on. It's not necessarily a flashback, but it is a flashback where Ali Wong's character as a child goes over next door to Randall Park's families and is hanging out with them. And Randall Park's mom in the movie is cooking a meal, a dinner. And I don't know what it was about this particular scene, but this scene in conjunction with all of those five different things that I just listed as happening in the world at the time, not only in, in a wide perspective of the world, but also within my own family units world, something flipped a switch in my mind where I realized something was happening and I was having a thought. And I turned to Emily and I said, how am I going to teach our kids to navigate this world as Asian when I don't know how to do so? How am I going to teach our kids to navigate the world as Asian when I don't know how to do so? This is the first time in my life that I ever had that kind of thought. The first time in my life that I ever thought, I would like to know what that's like, what it means to be Asian American. Powerful moment, to be honest. Looking back, especially, powerful moment. At that time, I didn't realize how powerful it was and that it would be. I didn't realize at that time, the course of my life was completely changing. That I had just launched into a new trajectory to do something different. To end up having this conversation with you right now. The very next day, I was at home because the pandemic and we're locked down and I get on my podcast app and I type in Asian American I come across multiple podcasts dealing with that experience and I happen to select one called Dear Asian Americans and the rest is history um ongoing history might I add if you want to learn more about that particular experience post looking up that podcast post, watching always be my maybe follow me on Instagram, check out all, all of my different posts, check out the different episodes of the John Chi show that I've done talking about that experience. Check out my episode of dear Asian Americans, where I have a conversation to tell my story for the very first time. Um, just check that out. I'm not going to get into it today, but that's memory three memory three was the moment my life changed completely, but for the better. And so I've been tying them together. I've been tying memory one, memory two, memory three together as we've been, you know, as I've been talking about them. And I want to continue tying those knots and showing how we get from one to three. The conscious start of my rejection that led to both the internal self-harm and the external harm of other people, That would be my life trajectory until I came to consciousness. So I know I said in memory one, it was a subconscious thing for me to start rejecting my identity. But at a certain point, in my opinion, even though that's underneath, even though that is still subconscious, I started to make slightly conscious decisions, even if I couldn't articulate what was going on. To reject my identity that would cause internal self-harm, external harm to other people. And that was the trajectory of my life until I came to consciousness. And it wouldn't be until I came to consciousness that I would actually reflect on memories like memory two and memory one and any of the other memories that are similar to that. It wouldn't be until consciousness, until I had my rupture moment, that I would actually start to reflect on my own experience, start to ask questions, start to unpack that, start to want to feel uncomfortable about exploring those things within my own life in a way that I never had or never, never even had the thought that I would do ever. Even three days prior to coming to consciousness, not in, wasn't in my purview, wasn't in my trajectory. And because I had the privilege of coming to consciousness, because that happened, and because I was fell into the gift, you know, if I never watched Always Be My Maybe, would I be in this position? Would I be having this conversation? Would I even come? to consciousness, if none of these other things would happen if the pandemic wasn't going on, if we hadn't moved back to Indianapolis, if there weren't violence against Asian bodies because of the pandemic, if black people weren't being killed by the state and getting away with it, like if we weren't talking about having kids, would any of this have happened? I don't know. I can't say. But because it did happen, it pushed me into the necessary work that I needed to do to get to the point that I'm at right now telling you about all of these things that needed to happen in order for me to get to where I am. And I guess I just, I needed to happen. I didn't need to happen necessarily, but they did happen. These are fixed points on my timeline that have led me from a to B to C to right now to have this conversation, to be able to talk about it. And I am, I know we talk about gratitude and gratefulness in the adoptee community and we have like really complicated relationship with that concept and that idea. However, I am grateful that I am here now because there was a time in my life where I wasn't going to get to this point and I am more whole today than I have ever been in my entire life. And I wouldn't be here had I not come to consciousness And had it not gone the way that it's gone, who's to say that it would have happened ever? And so why am I sharing this? So if we go back to last episode, I talked about sharing personally can be really beneficial. It can create accessible entry points for other people, both inside and outside this community. And it's it's difficult. And I don't think and what I've learned over this time is that not everybody's gonna be able to do it. Not everybody gets the chance to do it. Not everybody comes to consciousness. Not everybody wants to tell their story in this way. And that's totally okay. That makes that's what is so incredible about the community itself and about just humanity in general, is we all have these different things that we go through. We navigate the world the way that we're gonna navigate it, and sometimes by luck, by happenstance, by chance. We get the opportunity to tell our story. And I think when we are able to enter safe spaces, learn, unlearn, unpack, understand, and find community, we can find ourselves into a brave space, entering into a brave space that allows us to then talk about our stories in a way that's public, in a way that is accessible for other people, in a way that puts us in an uncomfortable position where we are giving pieces of ourselves away in the hopes that it does good for other people who might share a lived experience. And so why is that important? Why am I telling you about core memory one, core memory two, core memory three, coming to consciousness, internalization of whiteness and white supremacy culture? Why am I talking about my experiences of racism? And why am I sharing my own particular story? I have three reasons why. There's a lot of threes. The first reason why this is important and why I'm doing this, specifically why I am doing this, is to I want to share to help others know that they're not alone. Every single person in this world, in this universe, has their own story, has their own experience. No two people are exactly alike. Even identical twins have their own experiences, their own thoughts, even if there is some sort of biological connection where things do become almost one-to-one exactly the same, I think. I don't know the science. I probably shouldn't have said that, but I'm going to say it anyways because I want to emphasize the point that we're all different. That doesn't mean that we're alone. That doesn't mean we have to be isolated, that we have to navigate consciousness, that we have to be by ourselves as we venture on this path doesn't have to be that way. And it's when people understand and and realize that there's community out there, they can find their way out of that loneliness and know that they're not alone. And that's reason one. Reason two, I share to help people outside of this community, adoptive parents, prospective adoptive parents, non-adopted people in general, These are the folks who say, I know so-and-so, they're adopted and they're just fine. I share to help those folks understand that there may be other things going on in that adoptee's life and it's not as simple as just being angry, as just being ungrateful, as just being maladjusted. All three of those things, very common labels for adoptees who don't have or who share experiences that don't line up with the dominant narrative of adoption that don't line up with wholly positive experiences, that don't line up with complete gratitude at all times. That's the second reason that I share. The third reason that I share, I will obviously have these conversations with my kid, and I want to be able to talk to them about this. I also understand, because of my own experience with my parents, there's a reality where these things are really hard to talk about. And it's not to say that I won't try to have those conversations And maybe these conversations that are recorded, that are written, that are available, publicly accessible, will be the entry point. I hope it's not. I hope that's not the reason. You know, I hope we're able to have those conversations before. But I am not, I don't want to be naive in the sense that our relationship will be the perfect one. The greatest father-son relationship that you could possibly ever have, where we're open about everything and we talk about everything and we just understand each other completely. I don't want to have any qualms about that. I share in this way and I share to let him know that eventually, you know, if we don't have that, he can find some of this well-documented journey of mine. And maybe that's the entry point into it. And if that's the case, that's the case. Doing this has helped me find myself as well as going to therapy, as well as a bunch of other things. And that, person that I was before is not who I am now and that I'm cap- I've been capable of change the whole time and that I found it in myself. And I've talked about this specifically regarding the John Chi show. The John Chi show is a record, a public record of this three years of my life from coming to consciousness, to reclamation, to self-acceptance, to self-love. And then it's going to be parenthood, but it will always be. I hope that it'll always be here. Please, internet always be available now. So that way I can keep this record, this document just on the off chance that my child, that my potential children can have if for whatever reason they need it and we need it. And then it will always be there for everyone else, for you, the adoptee. former foster youth who does feel alone you're not alone and for people outside of this community adoptive parents prospective adoptive parents non adoptive folks who have adoptees in their lives to know that it's not as simple as our family was made what is wrong with you what is wrong with you there might not be anything wrong there probably isn't anything wrong with them they just don't maybe have the language to articulate they just don't maybe feel safe enough in whatever environment they find themselves in, to have this conversation. And that happens. It happened to me. And luckily, I've found myself at a point where I can have this conversation now, where I can talk about this with my wife, with my parents, with people outside of my experience, my friends, in a way that validates everything that I had going on before and continues to push me forward in a way of growth in a way of being comfortable with the discomfort of my own story and with the discomfort of the larger narrative, the larger fabric of society that we are a part of. And that's why I do this work. That's why I do the work that I do specifically and that I found myself in over the last three years. Oh, okay. Well, that's the episode. This is episode two of 2024, episode 60-something, 67, I think. 68, I don't know. It's one of those. Just check it out on the podcast app or on YouTube, whichever you are listening, watching, consuming this on. And thank you for being here. Um, Thank you to everybody who supported me and this work and and everything that we've been doing on Conversation Piece over the last year and change, everything that we've been doing on the John Cheese Show for the last three years and everything that I've been doing over the last three years as well. Y'all make it worth it. Y'all have been incredible people incredible friends and allies and community members. And it makes me excited to continue doing specifically this work on conversation piece, but the work on John cheese show and every other thing that we have coming up in 2024. It's a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a lot and it's fun. I'm excited. I'm going to have a kid soon, whole lot of stuff going on, but that's what it is for this week. That's what it is for today. Just a reminder, new episodes of the show drop every tuesday and you can get them wherever you get your podcasts as well as on youtube if you want to support the show please leave us a rating or review on any of those platforms you can also follow us on instagram at conversation pod you can follow me directly at patrick in the world and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter conversation piece the newsletter that drops every monday Paid newsletter subscribers also get exclusive access to our companion podcast, Conversation Notes. That drops every Wednesday. So just to give you a timeline, newsletter on Monday, Conversation piece episodes on Tuesday, Conversation Notes episodes on Wednesday. Shout out to our paid subscriber community for helping me and supporting me and being able to do some of these other things with the newsletter. It's very exciting, very exciting stuff. I cannot wait to share with you the episodes we have coming up very very exciting stuff that we have coming out it's gonna be fantastic it's gonna be a fun time i cannot wait to share this with you until then though i am the titular patrick and this has been conversation peace see you soon